Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, y'all. Brittany here to tell you a bit about today's sponsor of Undistracted. We are proud to partner with MailChimp, a company that cares deeply about fostering equity and inspiring positive change. MailChimp makes it a priority to meet customers both where they are emotionally as entrepreneurs, but also in more tangible ways with marketing tools and education. MailChimp's smart marketing platform can give you confidence in your marketing and help you boost your business. Later in this episode, you'll hear from a small business owner about what motivates them in their work. In the meantime, you can learn more by visiting MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. That's MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. Hey y'all, it's Brittany. I've been enjoying the absolute bliss of motherhood. Don't get me wrong, it's plenty exhausting. I've never worked this hard in my whole life, and yet it is the most abundant place I could ever be blessed to find myself. Baby M is currently learning how to smile, and I personally feel so accomplished because for the first time last week, I actually made him smile. It wasn't just a random crooked grin on his face. I actually tickled his cheek in just the right spot at just the right moment. And he gave me the widest, most toothless grin I've ever seen. I just felt like I could do anything. Except apparently protect him the way that I imagine every parent wants to. But I I don't know how to feel raising him in a country where someone can take a gun into an elementary school. I I don't know how to keep him safe from feckless politicians and a lack of political will. I don't know how to keep him safe from the failure of this country to have any kind of moral compass when it comes to protecting children. Because let's be frank, this formula shortage has everything to do with profit margins, monopolies, and deregulation. In one of the most developed countries in the world, the descendants of the people who built this place cannot seem to make it through childbirth at the rates we should. And somehow, some way, in a day and time when The bodies of 10 black people murdered by a white supremacist in Buffalo have not even been buried yet. Once again, another mass shooting. People are going to regurgitate the same lines. Somebody's going to say thoughts and prayers and then somebody's going to say thoughts and prayers are not enough. Somebody is going to say elect pro-gun reform candidates and somebody else is going to say, well, you're going to take this gun out of my cold, dead hands. And this argument is going to go back and forth until the national attention span once again closes and we've moved on to the next thing. 
somebody's going to say this cannot be who we are and somebody's going to retort all of the evidence says it's exactly who we are. And I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to my child who one day will be tying up his shoes and getting ready to come home after a great day at school with his friends learning and playing and exploring. And he'll tell me, we had a drill today, mommy. We had a drill for what happens if somebody comes in with a gun because chances are by the time he is of school age, the reality won't be any different. I don't know what to say to you. I don't know what I'll say to him. To be the supposed greatest country in the world, we should be absolutely ashamed of ourselves. I don't know how we're not embarrassed. I don't know how we can look the nations of the world in the face and actually pretend as though we've got it all together. Pretend as though we value human dignity when every single day children in this country face the violence of poverty and hunger and gun violence. Whether it's at a school or it's in their community, whether it's at the hands of a white supremacist or at the hands of somebody who never should have gotten their hands on a firearm in the first place. They keep looking at us for answers. We can't keep shrugging our shoulders in return. We owe them so much more. And I don't know what it's going to take, but I can't live like this. My son can't live like this. None of us should have to live like this. The parents who will bury their children should never have had to live like this. I don't know how. I don't know when. But a change is going to have to come. We are undistracted. In today's episode, we have something very necessary to lift you up because I know we all need it. The fabulous and fashionable Bevy Smith is here to tell us why life, as she puts it, gets greater later. We love that Auntie Bevy. And my undistracted colleagues, Treasure Brooks and Cindy Levy, have that interview coming up right after this short break. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. 
And now you'll hear from a featured entrepreneur in the Undistracted Spotlight, brought to you by our sponsor, MailChimp. Hey there, my name is Mildred Tolentino. I'm the president and CEO of M2Pros Development Inc. We are a construction project management company, predominantly serving New York and the Tri-State area. We are also in Texas. We provide flexible work schedules for women who are re-entering the workforce and to minorities who have credentials but lack traditional experience. We know how hard it is to get your start somewhere. And in our first few years of business, it was difficult to gain traction amongst prominent corporations. But that first offer can do so much I still remember ours. So what I want to make sure we offer the same opportunity for job applicants. My advice to women looking to get back to work and to those folks who are well on their way building their company, don't give in. You will pay off someday. You can learn more about us at m2pros.com. That is m-t-o-p-r-o-s.com. Thanks, Mildred. Our sponsor, MailChimp, offers an all-in-one marketing platform built with growing businesses in mind. Visit MailChimp.com smartmarketing to learn more on how to fuel your business, even if you're just starting out. Hey folks, this is Cindy Levy. I'm an executive producer here on Undistracted. A few weeks back, I had the pleasure of traveling to Vancouver with our correspondent, Treasure Brooks for the TED 2022 conference. You know, TED, like TED Talks. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Our guest today brought the house down. Bevy Smith is a legend in the fashion world. She made her way to the top of the fashion advertising and publishing universe in the cutthroat 90s, working with iconic brands like Bill Blass. She worked at Vibe, and she then went on to run luxury advertising at Rolling Stone. I worked in magazines at the time, and Bevy was a legend. But... She realized that she wanted something different. So in her 40s, she left everything that she had built to do something new. It was touch and go for a few years before she found her footing, but now she is everywhere. You might have seen her on Bravo, you might have heard her on Sirius FM, or you might have caught her book, Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie, Bestie, on bookshelves last year. Treasure and I talked to Bevy about why, as she says in her TED Talk, it gets greater later. Bevy, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. So you've lived a whole lot of life and you've had many careers in a lot of different phases. I want to start by asking you to introduce yourself with a little bit of a twist. How would you have introduced yourself at 25 and how would you introduce yourself today at 55? Hello, I'm Big Bev from Uptown. That's 25. 55. Hello, lovers. I'm Bevy Smith. I'm one of one. Mm. <laughs> one of one is pretty great at any yeah. age yeah right you have talked about yourself being a late bloomer and i think in fact that you said that chris rock had called you out on being a late bloomer he once called me the most late blooming mofo he'd ever met now some people might consider that snide but i revel in it i'm 55 and i'm here in this curvy body as someone who has done the work walk the walk in these very high heels and therefore is qualified to testify in the church and in the court of law that it does, in fact, get greater later. 
Well, you know, I, I've known Chris since I was in my 20s. For me, late blooming doesn't, I, b- I believe that everything is as it should be. Mm-hmm. And so I'm also very patient, which mm-hmm. is probably why I don't mind being a late bloomer. I'm not someone who really needs to like hit these markers. Mm-hmm. I've never been the type of person that wanted to be on the, on the 30, on the 30 list. Mm-hmm. Well, one, because when I was under 30, I was having a lot of fun in my life. Mm-hmm. I had a career, but I was not focused. And I knew early on that work was not the end all and be all to mm-hmm. a happy life. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show is because you have that fantastic phrase you're known for now. It gets greater later, yeah. which is this idea that life gets better as you get older. And that's the exact opposite of what specifically women are, are told. Mm-hmm. What are the old ideas around age and getting older that you're trying to push against? Well, I think, you know, when I look at my 94-year-old mother and she has this exuberance for life, like, you know, we're here in Vancouver. She had, we went out to dinner last night and she got home at midnight. Mm. You know what I mean? And she had a cure royale. That's amazing. You know, 94. Yeah, 94, wow. you know? Okay. Goals for age 94 be having a cure royale <laughs> at midnight with Bevy Smith. In Vancouver, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and she had like this really cute little sparkly silver little outfit. And I mean, she just, so for me, I, I was very fortunate because I wasn't raised in a household where age was a discussion, mm-hmm. where complexion wasn't a discussion, where hair length wasn't a discussion. Where, you know, a lot of things that societally black women Mm -hmm. and women overall have to face with people kind of like telling you why you're not enough. Mm -hmm. And and I think because that was my foundation, I was able to go into a space like the very lily white space of luxury fashion because I was Mm -hmm. my clients were, you know the Milan and Paris designers. Mm -hmm. And that's a very, very, very white space. Now it's changing, thankfully. But when I was doing it, it was a very white space. But like coming from the community that I come from and coming from the mother that I came from, I was able to navigate and not lose myself. Mm -hmm. So aging for me has never really been a problem. You said also that your mother never hid her age and that you never have either. And it's strange that we should even need to comment on that, but I'm always struck by how common it still is for so many prominent women to be very sort of bashful about Mm -hmm. sharing their age. It's sad. Yeah. Because especially as every day we hear about someone passing away far too young. Mm -hmm. Every year is a Mm. gift. Every day is a gift. You should be celebrating your age. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. be hiding from it. And, you know, one of the things that really, really struck me and why, and this is something I try and communicate with the young women that are in my life. Please don't be so driven and ambitious that you don't have fun and Mm. that you don't live your life. I would much rather them err on the side of having even almost too much fun Mm. than having too much work. Because you can bounce back from doing, you know, you can get serious later and catch up. Yeah. Mm. But you can't get that. I see so many women now that are in their 50s or that are now just trying to like live life. And I I commend it and I love it and I'm happy Mm -hmm. for you. But I wish they had like put down the 
spreadsheet and picked up a cocktail mm. when they were in their 30s <laughs> and 20s, you know? <laughs> That's the life advice we're going to leave people right, with right. from this interview. I love it. And pick up a cocktail. Yeah, yeah. And you sound like you kind of always had it figured out. You came into these spaces really seeming to have known who you were. Yes. Um, but was it ever difficult? And how, how did you manage to retain those values from your childhood as you got further away from home and ascended in your career? That's a really good question because, boy... I was really very comfortable, and it's because I grew mm. up in an all-black neighborhood. I grew up in such a big, cultural, important neighborhood, you know. Harlem, you know, I'm walking down the sh same streets as Baldwin and Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston, and that gives you a sense of pride. And that also kind of steadies you, also because when I was a child and adolescent, it was the black power movement, mm -hmm. so... Every day was black history in my classrooms. Mm -hmm. We learned Swahili in school. Mm. You know what I mean? Wow. And the, <laughs> you know, and the this classroom was just papered with what you now see one month, February, mm -hmm. but every day mm -hmm. was like mm -hmm. that. And so mm -hmm. that also lets you know what you come from, mm -hmm. what you're attached to. So when I had to go into the fashion business, I was a receptionist at a really iconic agency called Peter Rogers Associates. Mm -hmm. And they had big accounts like Black Llama Mink, mm. um, Vidal Sassoon, and they also had Brooke Shields Jeans. Peter Rogers did that account. So Brooke and I are the same age. So she would come in because it's her business. But she was a kid. Mm. And I was a kid. I was like 19. She was 19. Yeah. And so she would ask her mom, can I like not go in and can I just sit in the reception area? And so Brooke Shields and I would like chat. And I ran into her at, on a trip in the Bahamas a couple of years ago. And I was like, you remember Peter Rogers? She was like, oh my God, yes, I haven't heard that. I was like, I was the receptionist. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, it was so great. <laughs> but so I went to around big supermodels and all these white standards of beauty. And that was great for them. Mm -hmm. But I never wanted to look like them in any way, shape, or form because where I was from, those ladies couldn't get arrested on the street. No one would even be looking at them. They'd be like, who is that bony girl with, you know, like it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. So I had my own particular brand of beauty and where I was from, it was appreciated. Mm -hmm. And they had their own particular brand of beauty, which obviously it was the kind of societal norm, but I didn't fall into that. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of went my own way as far as that went. So that was something that kept me kind of solid and rooted. And then also, too, I really do believe staying in Harlem versus moving down to the West Village, which mm -hmm. I was offered many times. Mm -hmm. Back then, people were like, oh, my God, you live in Harlem. Are you safe? Mm -hmm. Are you okay? People would always say that to me. I'd be like, it's my community. They just couldn't believe it. And people would offer, you know, Bavi, I own a brown, and I can let you have And I was like, yeah, I don't want, I mm -hmm. want to stay in my community. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the reason why I survived it. Yeah. Because I would have been turned around and twisted. Because right. I would have really had to have conformed. Because mm -hmm. when you go into, especially back then, in the late 80s, early 90s, you're going into these all-white spaces, like working and then living Mm -hmm. I think I would have been code switching. I think I would have probably not really liked the way I looked. Maybe I would have developed an eating disorder. I don't know, but yeah. I don't think it would have been the best for yeah. me. Yeah. So you've always had this really firm sense of self, but you know, you're also talking about how it gets greater later. So I want to dig a little more into what actually gets greater, especially yeah. for you, and you know, and maybe for a lot of women. You talked about how 
your feelings of competitiveness with other women and maybe with other people, people. overall have changed. And I think the line you used was that a little bit of grace is better than Botox. Yes, 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 <laughs> Okay, definitely. explain. <laughs> Everyone's going through something and we just never know. And I think that we can get out of our own heads and stop looking at people as competition or stop looking at what they have and coveting that. And we can begin to extend grace and to find a way to really be happy for people, even if they're having an experience that you think you deserve. Mm -hmm. Just like take a note and then you give a note. And by giving a note, that means like congratulating someone and really meaning it, knowing that what's for you is for you. They're not taking anything from you, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And the part in the talk that I was really talking about is like, it was so weird to me that when I looked at it, I was like, why do I even care that someone got a job on some daytime talk show? I don't even want to do that anymore. You mean ordinarily or when you were younger, you would have immediately felt your hackles going up like that should have been me. Well, I just experienced it last year. I was mm -hmm. like, well, why didn't I get the call? Mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want the job, but I did want to get the call. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but You know what I mean? So you got to a place where instead your impulse upon seeing something like that would be, oh, let me just send an email and congratulate yes. you. Yes. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's going to make you very happy. And I'm very happy for you. So knowing yourself and being able to express grace with others as opposed to being competitive, those are all parts yeah. of getting older. I read a book about two years ago mm. that, <laughs> that talked about the fact that killer whales and humans are the only species where females go through menopause. And that in killer whales, the post-menopausal whales become the leaders of the pods. They become like the haunches, yeah. the leaders. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I really love that analogy mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe we should be looking more often to older women to be leaders in our yeah. culture and yes. I, i'm curious what you think about that oh, yeah. whether that sort of ability to lead is something that you think we underestimate oh it definitely is there's so much wisdom to be gleaned from older women i love mm -hmm. i call them the old dolls i love <laughs> give me i keep the old dolls around me you know and and i'm looking forward to becoming one of the old dolls right now i'm just one of the dolls yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> i want to become one of the old dolls i want to be you know i interviewed cicely tyson oh. two days before she passed away wow because it was what i was one of the few people that got it was gail king me I think she did one other interview because they were having to pace him out because she was like 94, 95 years old. So she couldn't do a full like regular press one day. Mm -hmm. So she was doing a couple of interviews a day for her autobiography. And I got her. Mm. And it was incredible to just sit and talk with her. And then, of course, when she passed away two days later, it made it even more poignant. Mm -hmm. And to know that she was like that just two days before she ascended a new realm. How powerful is that? Yeah. Wow. Bevy, you've you've talked about being exposed to all these different worlds as you were kind of creating your own for yourself. You know, being the receptionist as Brooke Shields was there, <laughs> yeah. owning a company. I'm thinking of the the other class you probably came against was class, like financial yeah. difference, mm -hmm. you know, in these worlds. How has your relationship to money changed throughout your life? You're very transparent about the fact from 40 to 45. Tragically you, broke. You, you really had to re-strategize. You really yeah. had to re-examine your relationship to money. <laughs> yeah. What was that period about and where are you now? Well, in my book, I call it broke but blissful. Mm. So I was really very happy. I just didn't have any money because I had, uh, you know, quit my job at 38 to pursue this 
career that I now have. Mm. Um, and I didn't realize that I would probably have to go broke to do it. Mm-hmm. Didn't really plan that too well. Mm. <laughs> I like had like, I was like, I had a year's worth of money saved. But the funny thing about mm, that, though. That's not nothing. Exact, yeah. Exactly. The crazy thing is, is that I probably could have lasted longer than even a year. But I took the first of my Eat, Pray, Love, sepia versions of Eat, Pray, Love trips. I went to Brazil, South Africa, Costa Rica. I took a lot of acting classes. I flew to L.A. I was doing a lot of things. So I spent a lot of money mm-hmm. in pursuit of this new life. Mm-hmm. And so... When I went broke, it was like, oh, I was shocked because I had done well for so long. And my dad was a really good provider. We were not rich by any means. We were certainly lower middle class. But my dad, we never wanted for anything, Mm -hmm. not nothing. So I didn't come from a struggle background. Mm -hmm. But all around me, I had friends who had struggles financially Mm -hmm. because I lived in you know, Harlem and the median household income probably when I was growing up was in the 20,000 or something, mm-hmm. right? And so I knew a lot of like cagey kind of ways to get around being broke. Mm-hmm. I was broke, but I was really very happy because I was pursuing my dreams and I was actually making leeway. Mm-hmm. So I was on TV. I was writing for Glamour, for Essence, for Paper Magazine. So I was broke but blissful. Now... It's a, a really wonderful thing I say in this talk. You know, I would do all these things that I do for free. But I don't fear being broke. Mm. And I also do not feel beholden to getting a job that I don't want or mm. taking on projects that I don't want. If you ever see me doing anything, any kind of talk, anything that's work, please know that I'm there because I want to be there. I'm not just there for the money. Mm. The money is a big part of it, mm-hmm. but that's the second tier of it. First is... Do I want to do this? Will it be, make me happy? Will it fulfill me? Am I interested? Mm-hmm. And then it's the coin. Mm-hmm. Then we get into the negotiation of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love to negotiate too. And that's something I would say to women. Mm-hmm. We have to embrace the same way we need to embrace aging. We need to embrace negotiating and asking for money. It's a mm-hmm. really great feeling knowing that you can go out hunt and forage and then you know gut the fish and then fry it up in a pan yeah it's a really good feeling <laughs> is and that a metaphor yes it, yes it is yes it is because i'm not doing any of those other things but i do know how to go in negotiate my money which mm. is why it's tough for me when i have agents and managers because mm. i i automatically want to get in there and do yeah. negotiating myself yeah but i love it yeah you i would imagine you love it yeah but it's a hard skill to learn because yeah. it can be very scary you yeah. know and only by doing it over and over and realizing that the world doesn't end when you say i actually can't do it for that number yeah. mm. and then often there's movement after that it's the only way it gets less scary and yeah. it still is sort of scary sometimes yeah, yeah you for you sometimes yeah yeah yeah, I think it's okay to admit that. I think it is one thing to know that intellectually. And, yeah. you know, most times in most negotiations, mm-hmm. I fully own that and feel yeah. that. But I think it's normal also to have that impulse that we were all taught way too early mm-hmm. that you should be lucky just to be in the room. And you have to overcome that yes. and take on that attitude of like, you know what? You're lucky also to be here in the room with me. Um, that's what allows you to negotiate. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned before that you thought the fashion industry was changing. And I have to ask you because you spent so many years in fashion. And and fashion has 
I think, been often behind a lot of other oh, industries yeah. mm-hmm. in terms of confronting racism, confronting sexism, and making meaningful systemic changes. You do feel that it is changing? And, oh, and yeah. where, what kind of report card do you give fashion right now? Well, I won't give a high mark in the report card, but I see the changes. Mm-hmm. I am so elated every time when I am approached by some young black person that is in a fashion house and has a, a you know, a vice president plus title, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or when I see all the young black people that are at magazines that are like, you know, not just an associate editor and mm-hmm. they actually have real big positions. And when I go, when I see all the Instagram and all the young black people are sitting front row or attending Met Gala, we were alone in those spaces. Me, Emil Wilbekin, mm-hmm. the late great Andre Leon Talley, mm-hmm. Beth Ann Hardest, and, the, and those are the people that came before mm-hmm. me. But like for my group, like Emil Wilbekin and I, we were alone in these rooms. Mm-hmm. And now any young black person that's in fashion, there are so many resources and there's so many people that you can look to now mm-hmm. and be inspired by and know that you can do it. Mm-hmm. But we were just out there charting our own path and figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The world right now is so crazy. And young people like myself, I'm only 22, we're feeling oh the anxiety God. that we have no time. So I really, really resonate with everything you're talking about of wanting to hit the marks and wanting to be at the CEO level quickly. And so for people like me, for young people that are watching you, you shared so much wisdom in so many ways for us to to go through, but if you had to give us one little nugget to walk away with, what would it be? Mm, one little nugget for my babies. You've got to figure out what will really truly make you happy. And it may not look like what your parents wanted for you. It may not look like what you see other people doing on social media. You have to like really cleave to what you know to be true about yourself. And you have to also forget what the naysayers tell you, you know? People will tell you a lot of different things, but, you know, I really do believe in keeping your own counsel when you're a young person. Mm -hmm. It's very important to keep your own counsel. I also believe in um, making sure that you have, and I don't like the word mentor um, because I feel like it's not strong enough. But that's the reason why my book is called, the subtitle is Mother Auntie Bestie. Mm. You know, like now, you and I have met and and I've enjoyed meeting you for these past few days. So I'm your Auntie Beth now. Like you can literally call me. I will literally call you. Yes, (laughs) yes. But but there's there's a gazillion Auntie Bevies in the world Mm -hmm. that are waiting to embrace you. And take you under their, their wing. And so you don't have to make the same mistakes and you don't have to go it alone. And um, I'd say always try and seek out real authentic relationships. That mentor thing is real tricky because it doesn't mm. have to be about someone's stature. Because that's why mentoring is like a little. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. then it's like you're making a beeline. Oh, my God. Oprah's over there. I need to meet Oprah. Mm. That's great. Mm. But you could also just meet a nice lovely woman who has more experience than you and is willing to share that and that you can actually call Mm -hmm. because guess what you ain't gonna be able to call miss oprah (laughs) it's a relationship (laughs) yes yes so that's what i would say and also but really start trying to dig deep and figure out what you really want 
and taking those deep breaths and making sure that what you're thinking that you want is not just what society is telling you that you should want. Mm. Forget that track. Forget that checklist. If you make the 30 on the 30 list, that's cute. Great. I'm here to tell you, it don't really mean that much. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're going to upset some people, baby. <laughs> no, I, I know, but it doesn't really. <laughs> yeah. Because I think about it and I think about so many people that I, you know, came through the ranks with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All at the same place at this point. And I might even be doing better than some of them. And I had a hell, a whole hell of a lot more fun than they did. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I didn't make any 30 under 30, 40 under 40. They don't even do 50 under 50, which is a shame. They yes. should do 50 under 50. They should do 60 under 60. I don't like lists, but. Thank you so much, Bevy, for being with Thank us. Thank you, my Cindy. Thank you, my little treasure. Thank you. Bevy Smith is an author, a podcaster, and now Treasure's Auntie. We talked to her in Vancouver at TED 2022. You can hear her TED Talk and this year's other talks on the TED Talks Daily podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody, and take care of yourself in this tough week. it for today but never for tomorrow undistracted is a production of the meteor and pineapple street studios treasure brooks is our correspondent our lead producer is rachel ward our associate producers are alexis moore and mary alexa cavanaugh thanks also to hannis brown davy sumner and raj makija our executive producers at the meteor are cindy levy and myself and our executive producers at pineapple are jenna weiss berman and max linsky you can follow me at Miss Pat Getty on all social media and our incredible team at The Meteor. Subscribe to Undistracted and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or most places you find your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being and thanks for doing. I'm Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Let's go get free. <laughs>